Chapter 3 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Nicole Kristen. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Loomis Smith. It never rains, but it pours. Every mother, even though she be august-eyed, is bound to make many astonishing discoveries about her children. Pollyanna had watched over Junior solicitously since the hour he was born, yet every now and then he took her breath away by exhibiting some characteristic she would have sworn was absolutely foreign to his nature. One of these disagreeable surprises came the morning of a busy day when Jimmy had arranged to bring a friend home to dinner, a young man named Lindsay, a stranger in the city and so extremely shy that, if left to himself, he seemed likely to remain a stranger indefinitely. Pollyanna was in the kitchen helping Nancy with the dessert, when a chorus of shrill voices claimed her attention. It's your turn, Junior, Jack Horner was shouting about the racket. Go ahead. And Junior answered, stammering a little, as he sometimes did when very much excited, My stone ain't big enough. Pollyanna dropped her egg beater. A very small stone in Junior's hand was big enough to do deadly execution. He seldom hit what he aimed at, to be sure, but he had the knack of hitting something, a neighbor's window, or a jardinier, or a bottle of milk. Darting out on the back porch, Pollyanna saw a little group of boys gathered about Junior, who, with upraised arm, was taking very deliberate aim. Pollyanna's eyes followed his and found his target, a miserable, half-starved kitten sitting under a rose bush in Mrs. McGill's garden and washing its face with that pathetic passion for cleanliness in which the cat tribe leads all living creatures, mankind included. As a rule, Pollyanna was not inclined to exaggerate Junior's misdemeanors. It did not surprise her particularly when he told a lie, for she had observed that well-meaning adults sometimes took liberties with the truth to avoid inconvenience or embarrassment. His occasional disobediences were, in her opinion, to be expected since the desire to have one's own way is deeply implanted in human nature. But never for a moment had she dreamed that a child of hers could be cruel. After all his pains, Junior's aim was spoiled when a hand gripping his arm jerked him backward. The stone dropped from his momentarily paralyzed fingers and squirming around he looked into the sternest pair of eyes he had ever faced. Junior, said Pollyanna and her voice matched her eyes, go into the house and go to bed. It was a terrible punishment. Pollyanna had once confided to Jimmy her belief that Junior would rather be spanked every hour of the 24 than spend a day in bed, even if he were allowed to amuse himself with his toys. Junior did not cry easily, but as his mother delivered this fearful edict, he burst into a protesting roar. Mother, don't make me. I'll be good. Do as I tell you, Junior. Unless you mind promptly, I shall keep you in bed the rest of the day. Howling in a manner which suggested excruciating suffering, Junior started toward the house. But Jack Horner interposed in his defense. That ain't 
anybody's cat, Mrs. Pendleton. I mean, that ain't nobody's. It's just a stray. And you think that is an excuse for being cruel, do you, Jack? I'm ashamed of you. The boys exchanged significant glances and the discomfited group melted away while in the shade of the rose bush, the scrawny kitten finished its toilet unmolested. Busy as her day was, Pollyanna gave considerable thought to Junior's self-revelation. She did not intend to share her conclusions with Jimmy in the presence of their guest, but Junior's unnaturally subdued demeanor had at once aroused his father's suspicions, and after the children had gone upstairs, he inquired casually, "'What's Junior been up to?' Pollyanna's explanation lacked the twinkle which usually accompanied such a recital, and seeing that she took the matter seriously, Jimmy essayed comfort. Well, dear, don't take it too much to heart. Of course, all boys are little savages, but most of them outgrow it. I can't say that Junior is a savage, objected Pollyanna. As a rule, he's very gentle and sympathetic. He's much more likely to cry when Judy is hurt than when he hurts himself. In fact, she ended surprisingly. I take the blame for what happened today. You do? Then I suppose it's up to me to think of a suitable punishment. Pollyanna was too much in earnest to pay the wifely tribute of a smile. Junior wouldn't have thought of doing what he did today if he'd had a chance to get acquainted with animals. Of course, he learned their names from his blocks when he was a baby, and he's found out something about their habits from stories, but he's never had any real contact with them, so as to find out that they are creatures that can feel and love and suffer. That wretched kitten was simply a more interesting target than a milk bottle. But if he'd ever had a pet kitten, he'd have been full of sympathy for the poor little waif. Probably he'd have wanted to adopt it, suggested Jimmy. Very likely. I suppose I must have driven Aunt Polly nearly crazy, bringing home stray animals. That isn't always convenient, but I prefer it to cruelty. And then Pollyanna turned apologetically to her guest, Oh, Mr. Lindsay, please excuse this long dissertation on child training. I've been very much interested, the young man replied with a shy smile. One thing is certain, Mrs. Pendleton, a boy never gets as much happiness out of anything as out of the companionship of a dog. I've been a boy and I know. The next day... As it happened, Pollyanna had an excellent opportunity to air her newly formulated theories, for Jack Horner had given his mother a vivid account of Junior's disgrace, and at one of the gatherings which Jimmy facetiously referred to as a mother's meeting, Mrs. Warner mentioned the incident apologetically. As a matter of fact, Jack was several years older than Junior, and even his mother realized his culpability. Boys are so unfeeling, she cried. I believe it's more our fault than theirs, objected Pollyanna, and proceeded to enlarge upon her theme as she had done the previous evening. But in her present audience, she found few supporters. Oh, my dear, protested Mrs. Warner. Don't you know that cats and dogs bring all sorts of germs into the house? It's a hard enough fight to keep the children well without that. Well... I don't know any way to avoid germs except to be disinfected and then hermetically sealed, remarked Pollyanna. As long as the air is full of them, why worry about the few extra ones on a kitten? 
but they make so much work, expostulated a young matron by the name of Wilkins. Mrs. Wilkin had one child, an almost painfully proper little girl, whose chief enjoyment in her toys seemed to consist in picking them up and putting them away. As Mrs. Wilkins was continually boasting of her competent servant, Pollyanna wondered why she should object so strongly to everything that entailed work. The worst of having pets, drawled Mrs. Hunt, is that they are always dying and then the children's hearts are broken. My experience is that they get more sorrow out of it than they do pleasure. It was hardly a surprise to Pollyanna to learn that the Hunt's pets were short-lived. In the Hunt household, the meals were movable feasts, likely to occur at any hour or to be omitted altogether. The latter alternative was made possible by the fact that at any time of day, someone of the five young Hunts was sure to be munching something. Bedtime, too, was an indefinite period, and on several occasions Pollyanna had been roused from her first sound sleep of the night by the penetrating voices of the hunt children who had not yet retired. These haphazard methods applied to creatures without language to voice their needs might easily result, Pollyanna saw, in their premature demise. And so, though surprised at the unpopularity of her suggestion, Pollyanna did not relinquish her purpose. Jimmy, too, thought well of the idea. Not only would the children derive great pleasure from having a pet, but as Pollyanna had said, it would be a continual object lesson in kindness to animals. And when one afternoon Jimmy found himself in the vicinity of a pet shop, one window of which was occupied by a litter of puppies, while in the other a cage of monkeys had attracted the usual circle of onlookers. It occurred to him that this was the place he had unconsciously been looking for. His work was over for the day and he walked in. The pet shop proved a distractingly noisy place. The monkeys were chattering uninterruptedly, punctuating their remarks by an occasional shrill squeal. Several dogs in the rear kept up a nervous barking, and a grey parrot with a wicked eye added its mite to the general tumult. Jimmy paused by its perch. Pretty Paul, he said tentatively. Oh, shucks, cried the parrot and broke into a cackling laugh like the laughter of a very old man, then changed with uncanny suddenness to the wailing of an infant. The proprietor, seeing Jimmy's interest, approached, but Jimmy shook his head. We hear enough of that already at our house, he explained. I have three children at home. The proprietor was sympathetic. He suggested that the children might enjoy a monkey, but while Jimmy did not doubt that in the least, he knew that there were limits to even Pollyanna's forbearance. He vetoed goldfish as too stupid. Some rabbits appealed to him strongly, but the cold weather was not far away and he decided that a house pet would give the children greater enjoyment. A grey squirrel had an excellent chance for his vote, but as he discussed prizes with the proprietor, he carelessly rested his hand against the wires and the squirrel promptly bit him. Jimmy wound his handkerchief around the bleeding finger and looked further. In one of the rare windows of the shop in a contracted wooden cage, a little yellow canary was singing away for dear life and at the first sight of it, Jimmy knew it was exactly what he wanted. You're Pollyanna's bird all right, he said, addressing the canary. 
If she wore feathers and was cooped up in a cage, that's just the way she would act. And then he asked the proprietor the price, and the proprietor, seeing that Jimmy had made up his mind, added a dollar to what he would have asked had Jimmy seemed uncertain. Jimmy had the canary transferred from the wooden cage to one that glittered like gold and boasted a number of perches, and then he carried off his big package mentally picturing the children's excitement on his arrival. His anticipation fell short of the reality. If anything, though he did not prove the center of the excitement as he had fully expected, Judy was the first of the family to discover his approach and she rushed to open the door before he could insert his latchkey. Daddy, she squealed, spinning about him like a dancing dervish. Guess what we've got? Guess! Junior rushed in from the kitchen. Yes, we've got something, Daddy. It's not a new baby, he interjected, as if to guard his father against possible disappointment. Guess what it is? Pollyanna's appearance on the scene prevented his compliance with this repeated request. How early you are, dear, she exclaimed. And then, as her gaze fell on his ungainly package, why, Jimmy, what is that? I'm glad to find that someone in the family has a little curiosity, said Jimmy in a tone of injury. The children didn't even notice. What's wrong with them? You see, they're so excited. No, I don't see. What are they excited about? Don't tell him, Mother, Junior shrieked. That's got to guess what we've got. A boa constrictor. The peals of laughter greeting his humorous effort were enough to confirm Jimmy's already good opinion of his wit. In spite of the disadvantage of not having any idea of what the word boa constrictor meant, Judy laughed as loudly as the others. Daddy's a funny man, she remarked patronizingly. To call a nice little kitty such queer names. There, now, you've told him. Junior sputtered disgustingly. I didn't, did I? Mover? Shh! It doesn't matter. What do you suppose is in that queer bundle of daddies? A spirited guessing contest ensued. Quite forgetting their own secret, the children hazarded all sorts of conjectures until a pleasing interrogative sound from behind the brown paper led Junior to express the belief that the package contained a chicken. And thinking this near enough, Jimmy removed the wrapping and disclosed the canary, sitting on the topmost perch, his head on one side. I bought him because he reminded me of you, dear, Jimmy explained when the children had quieted sufficiently for him to be heard. Playing the glad game for dear life, the little chap was, Say, look who's here. The closing exclamation was called out by the appearance in the hall of a roly-poly black-and-white kitten. With the unfailing feline instinct for being the center of attention, it took its stand in the middle of the rug and regarded the group benignly. Jimmy and Pollyanna exchanged meaning glances. Great minds run in the same direction, quoted Pollyanna. The laundress got it for me from a friend of hers. It's smart for six weeks old. The kitten, as if desirous of demonstrating its precocity, began to wash its face, rubbing its tiny paw behind its ear with the thoroughness to which Pollyanna at once called Junior's attention. While they were regarding and admiring the interesting animal, the doorbell rang. An expressman handed in a wooden box with slats nailed across the top and showed Jimmy where to sign. But what is it? 
cried Pollyanna, eyeing the box apprehensively. Don't know, but it's for you. Whatever it is, Mrs. James Pendleton, Elsinore Terrace. It's something alive, shouted Junior, peering through the slats. Oh, goody, something live, chanted Judy again, beginning her dervish dance. The kitten did not share this enthusiasm. It suddenly arched its back and, without warning, its tail became a funeral plume, much to Judy's alarm. Mavur, I'm afraid our kitten's going to blow up like my balloon did. Jimmy had gotten rid of the expressman by now, and the next thing was to wrench off one of the slats covering the box. He took one look, then faced Pollyanna, his expression desperate. It's a pup, by Jove. Jimmy, gasped Pollyanna, and here's a letter addressed to you. It's not any writing I know. Jimmy tossed the missive to his wife, who ripped it open in frantic haste and looked first at the signature. Franklin Lindsay, she read. Why, that's the Mr. Lindsay who was here to dinner the other evening. Frank Lindsay, for heaven's sake! Pollyanna began to read the letter aloud, while the children crowded close for a view of the new arrival, and the kitten continued to spit intermittently, expressing the accumulated venom of countless generations of cats for everything canine. My dear Mrs. Pendleton, I was so much interested in the opinion you expressed the other evening and support your views so heartily that I'm taking the liberty of sending you a French bull pup. He's not much to look at as yet, but he ought to make a fine dog. His pedigree will be mailed you shortly. I'm sure the children will find him an enjoyable chum when he is a little older. With kindest regards, yours very truly, Franklin Lindsay. Jimmy picked up the puppy and held him out for inspection. He was glossy black with a mirth-provoking face, big ears, enormous eyes, no nose to speak of, and a mouth that curved in a perpetual grin over his projecting lower jaw. Amusement triumphed over Pollyanna's secret consternation and she broke into hysterical laughter. He looks exactly like Mr. Jiggs. You've said it, Jimmy applauded. That's just the name for him, Jiggs. The puppy had discovered the kitten and expressed his sentiments by a funny squeaky noise, evidently intended as a bark, and the kitten retaliated by spitting again. Pollyanna bowed her head to her knees in a paroxysm of laughter. Such a happy family, she moaned, as she wiped her wet eyes. The cat will eat the canary unless it's watched, and the dog will worry the cat, and I'll punish the dog. Why? It sounds like the house that Jack built. Judy evidently had her doubts about the latest addition to the family circle. She came close to her mother, clutching her sleeve. I guess I won't get very near him, she whispered. He might catch my cold. Mother mused Junior, his reflective gaze upon the glossy puppy. Mother, how many animals does it take to make a menagerie? End of chapter 3